Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. You could also check us out on our website at www.healthy-perspectives.com. So it's a dash in between the healthy perspectives. Make sure you put an S at the end. The vulnerability that comes from our minds. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about narrative reframing, but I'm going to do it in a little bit of a different way. Narrative reframing is a therapeutic uh, approach to doing work. It's actually pretty effective when it comes to trauma, uh, when it comes to uh, people who have massive amounts of automatic negative thoughts um, that are just intruding in their everyday life. Narrative reframing can be extremely valuable, but I'm going to do it in context of what's going on with something that's current, because as you know, if you've been with me for any length of time, I like to use current events uh, or current uh, topics to help paint the picture, uh, if not to address the actual topic and create perspective around it. So let's start with this. What is narrative reframing? Narrative reframing uh, was born not very long ago. Uh, it's, it's called narrative therapy, but reframing is a specific tool that's used within the narrative therapy process. There was a, a gentleman, Michael White, David Epstein. You can look these people up. They are pretty well known. Um, and there's, there's somebody else who's part of it. I, I can't remember who it was. I, b- I believe it's a, a, a lady, uh, but I can't remember right off the top of my head. Here's basically the gist of it. The narrative approach is saying that empathy within context can change the way in which a story feels, and is projected into our future. The problem is separate from the person. In other words, you can be a good person with a bad chapter. That happens. Uh, Ask any addict uh, that is in recovery. Ask somebody who has uh, succumbed to some kind of cultural norm that they realized was not good for them. Some sort of immoral, uh, you know, piece of their life. And it says that there's themes. So narrative therapy says there's themes that run. So why do I paint the picture of what narrative therapy is? I do that because in context, it does matter. We create narratives. We are constantly creating narratives of our story. For instance, in our brain, we have a left and a right hemisphere, we have an amygdala, and we have a prefrontal cortex. If you want to look those up, please do it. Like this, the, the neuroscience stuff is really cool. I could totally geek out on that. But here's essentially what it gets to. Our prefrontal cortex, considered to be the most advanced portion of our brain, is nicknamed the meaning maker. It is constantly trying to 
to put things, something comes in, some sort of sensory, we got five senses, some sort of sensory stimuli comes in, and our prefrontal cortex immediately tries to make sense of that sensory experience. And over time, it patterns it out into a narrative, the theme. So hopefully you were able to follow me there. Why this matters? Because any distortion in our history, which we have them, you have them, I have them, we have distortions. And can we change them? Yes, I'll get into that in a moment. But these distortions, as we build on them, we create narratives that are distorted. They may be slightly distorted, massively distorted, but they're distorted. And it all stems, it all stems from our engram, the seed. All narrative therapy, all of it, is based on the premise that we have a start point and an end point. Now, I know we can get abstract and we can think about preconception, we can think about post-death, we can think about... um, you know, the different stories that are going on simultaneously within multiple people's lives that interact and interface. So I'm not suggesting it is super simple because it's not. But if we know that narration begins with the engram, which is all it is, is short for the initial memory. And that the initial memory could be an image, could be a feeling, could be a thought, could be what maybe we would term as an experience, then we know that from there we we begin to build scaffold. That's the terminology in the clinical world. Scaffolding. We build on that initial memory with new memories. So once we start down a path, for instance, a path of negativity, it's much easier to continue down the path of negativity. Once we start down the path of seeking joy in our day, it's easier to maintain the path of seeking joy. It's when somebody has that epiphany, bing, 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 the light goes on, and all of a sudden, they see the world different. That's that engram. And then they build from that. Right, that initial interpretation becomes the next, and what we do is, you know, through confirmation bias or or through actual experiences, could be both, could be um, either one. We then build and we scaffold on. This is precisely why, when people are quick to judge, I get very, very skeptical. If they think they have the answer quickly. I get very, very skeptical. It's not that they don't. It's just my skepticism. I sometimes can get things right very quickly. I also can sometimes get things wrong very quickly. And so I'm not looking for speed to be the only factor, but it is a major red flag for me because how do we create the narrative that fast? The only way to create it is to have an already existing narrative or engram, some beginning to the story, which means we are filling in all of the gaps 
on our own with history, not reality. Hope you're tracking. I know I've said a lot. That was pretty densely packed. But let's keep moving forward. I'm going to paint you a couple of pictures. And you're going to probably start to fill in the gaps. But what I want to do is test your narrative. So the Trump uh, raid or search, whatever you call it, what happened in Mar-a-Lago, I know that has been a big topic. So using that as a way in to a narrative you already have. Remember, narrative therapy suggests we'd pour empathy. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to go with your narrative. If you believe that the attorney for Donald Trump was present and allowed to be in the home, that will shape your view. So if you're in that camp, because I've heard a couple of different versions. I've heard she was there, but she was not allowed to be in the home. I've heard she was there and she was allowed to be in the home. I've heard that she wasn't there. We're going to start with this narrative. She is there and she is allowed to be in the home. From that, what we would then presume is that everything that happened from that moment on, the attorney was present. That's a big deal. The attorney then most likely, because of standard practices, would take them to the space, probably with Donald Trump on the phone or the uh, the security that was there uh, would uh, uh, escort them in to the space where the things were uh, reportedly locked up. And they would... Uh, the attorney would make sure that they got everything that they needed based on the subpoena. That means the narrative you would frame is everything's above board, all good to go. If the narrative, the, the engram, the beginning of the narrative started with the attorney was there and the attorney was not allowed in the home. Everything that is scaffolded after that would lead a person to believe that there was something fishy and sketchy going on because the normal practices that we would see, this is from a previous engram, right? In other words, tradition uh, that's set out by the FBI themselves would suggest that when they're on site they and an attorney was present, they would ask the attorney for to, to fulfill the subpoena and the attorney the attorney would say oh yep it's a good subpoena i see the judge signed it and boom they would go and they would take care of fbi agents escorting them to the space and if that didn't happen because the attorney was told to stay outside you would have no other conclusion all of the pieces that followed would have to fit the paradigm that something weird was going on. Hello, conspiracy theorists. Welcome to the game. I'm hoping that you see at least that the engram being based on fact and truth does affect every subsequent piece of information that comes your way. That's why it's so critical that we get good information from our media 
We get good information from our friends and our loved ones. That good information that comes at the beginning is so critical to every paradigm we create following that, every scaffold that's built on it. I'll give you another example. This one's going to be less specific. It's about uh, either sports or employment. I'll give it to you two different ways. If as a child you were told you were a good athlete, you probably grew up with the engram that you're a good athlete and anything that didn't fit that initial memory, you probably dismissed unless there was some significant event that led to a reframe. If you're a college athlete and you're told you are really good at this particular thing, you could actually create your identity around that one considered to be exceptional attribute. You see how engrams work. They get planted. It's a seed from an external stimuli either that image, that uh, feeling, that thought that crosses the mind and doesn't just float off again. If you're a good employer, let's say as a child, you were told, man, you should be a counselor. I'm giving you one of my engrams. I didn't like the idea. I fought the idea. The scaffolding never took early on. But here's a funny thing about an engram. I'm going to paint you a slightly different scenario. That initial memory didn't disappear. So eventually, when I stopped doing math classes, because that's who I was going to be a math major, when I stopped doing the math classes and took some psychology classes, all of a sudden, that engram built a memory scaffold that was a flipping tower, right? I had literally been putting off the no, 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 no. And I had that aha moment one day. Why? Because of the engram. The engram. I fought against the engram. And later on, you know, it could have just as easily become a different narrative, right? It could have easily become... You know, no, I'm just, it was never made out to, to be that. But sometimes that engram gets planted and years later, we've done all of this scaffolding that we didn't even know we were doing because what we were tr trying to do was deny the engram. And that can create other issues. Again, it could work the other way where I deny, 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 and just keep denying. But sometimes it turns out to be they told me a truth that I didn't see because I didn't want to, right? I fought against it. But that engram ended up being the thing that captured me. So engrams are extremely important because we scaffold from there. So what does this have to do with narrative therapy or narrative reframing? You can probably tell that it's relatively easy to manipulate people. And I'm giving you this information in hopes that you are never blindly manipulated in your life. And you're going to be manipulated in your life. 
So even with this information, it's going to happen. Narrative reframing is the taking of that story and putting a different colored light on it. For instance, if you've ever been in a black lit room with a white t-shirt, it looks different than when you're in the sunlight with a white t-shirt. I say that because sometimes when we change the color of the light, the whole memory takes a new shape. And the same is true when we infuse a narrative with what we call empathy in the therapeutic world. It can allow a person to see things from different angles. It's like putting a 360 camera in their memory. You got that whole view because of empathy. And if you've been with me long enough, you know empathy is an attempt to see the world as if you're somebody else. Only we're doing it in our memory. And when we do that, we can sometimes, not every time, but we can sometimes see how the narrative could look like four or five different possibilities. When that happens, it makes us more curious and less judgmental, which is great from a narrative narrative therapy uh, model, but it's not great if somebody is trying to manipulate you because they can use that technique to make you believe a narrative that is just off or completely untrue. So when a therapist is doing narrative reframing, we are very careful not to inject a truth that we want you to believe, but a truth that is worthy of thought. And we don't necessarily try to scaffold after we inject that initial engram, that reframe. We let you do the scaffolding to say, now, is that a possible reality? Okay, good. Chalk that up as a possible reality. Not the reality, but a possible reality. And then we go after again and again, sometimes three, four, five times so that they have different options to pick from, but also so that they can get the investigation in their mind out into the world and say, huh, I think that means I need to talk to my mom or my brother or my my aunt or my uncle or my friend or my other friend and ask some questions. I have some questions to ask. And then in the narrative reframing process, we would actually have them write down the questions that they want to ask because it's very important that when they're curious, they're not leading people to their conclusion that they just discovered. Does that make sense? My hope is it does. All right. I've gone through a lot of material here talking about narrative therapy and narrative reframing. Like This is by no means going to teach you everything you need to know about narrative therapy or narrative reframing. This barely touches on it. But I'm giving it to you in hopes that when you see things in the media, understand they're telling you a narrative. They want you to have a narrative. And that's okay. If it's the narrative, the reality, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it has any 
tiny bit of twist, any little twist, understand if you take it as truth, you're going to be the one who ends up off the right track. And my hope is that you don't do that. The easiest way, be a little bit more diligent. Think of the alternative narratives. Actually think them through. Think them through. But I don't mean just with your brain. Use your feelings. Use your thoughts. And ask yourself, does something seem off? Just use your intuition. It's there for a reason. It's information for a reason. I hope this was helpful. It is my hope that this helped paint something for you uh, that could be a tool that you use moving forward, not just in politics, but in all kinds of areas in your life. Relational strife, relational success, uh, work strife, work success. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.